Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country. With a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, listeners, joining us all across the country. Tonight, we dive into Thessalonians chapter 2, and it's going to be big fun for me and for you. Free poem. Free poem. Nobody had to pay for that. Uh, the food today, I just don't think, I don't know if we've ever had. This is pretty good. This is pretty good. We did uh, a uh, July 4th cookout theme, and so we have all the great cookout food here, all home done. It's amazing. It's just awesome. So we appreciate the listeners joining us across the country. Uh, we, uh, we have a lot of fun here. I don't know if you know, but we have a whole lot of fun here. I don't know if you picked up on that. We don't make it a secret. We kind of tell everybody, so uh, we would love for you to join us. By the way, and this is very important, while you have the chance, while you're thinking of it, please uh, click on follow and subscribe here at blogtalkradio.com backslash the Ninja Pastor. If you use Twitter and Facebook, follow us at the Ninja Pastor. And if you're on Facebook, go to www.facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, and then there's a little sign-up button. You just click on that and click like while you're there, too. That would be great. We appreciate that. Check out all the free messages on iTunes and also at theninjapastor.com. And remember, the chat room is open for your questions and comments. We will not be taking calls today. So we're going to dive right into it. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, chapter 2, 1 through 17. And by the way, as everyone here knows, and if you're joining us for the first time, um, we use the complete Jewish and we, meaning me, use the complete Jewish Bible. Um, you can use whichever one you want, uh, but it may sound a little bit different. And uh, hello to uh, uh, the Hill groups. They're listening in from their vacation. That cracks me up. I guess they have an Internet connection on the beach. So we appreciate that. Love you guys. And uh, we miss all the ones that aren't here. They're They're camping and cooking out. They missed out on the cookout. Nice, comfortable room, but uh, we, we do appreciate all of you. Anyhow, um, we are going to go ahead and get started. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 17, the complete Jewish Bible. I may or may not interrupt myself. Who knows? I'm kind of wild today. But in connection with the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and our gathering together to meet him, we ask you, brothers, well, let me just stop there. In connection with the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and our gathering together to meet him, 
we ask you, brothers, in connection with the coming of our Lord. He's talking about, Shaul, or the Apostle Paul, is talking about something that is relative to the coming of the Lord. Yeshua the Messiah. And our gathering together to meet him. Isn't that interesting that he reiterates the fact that, hey, we're going to gather together. Apparently, gathering together is important. They gathered together to talk about this very subject that Shaul is talking about here. But uh, even more important than that, he's talking about another gathering of the saints, of the redeemed, of the believers, when we gather together for the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. So he says, we ask you, brothers, not to easily, not to be easily shaken in your thinking or anxious because of a spirit or broken, or I'm sorry, a spirit or a spoken message or a letter supposedly from us claiming that the day of the Lord has already come. Why well, might as well stop here too. Not to be easily shaken. He says, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily shaken. You know, that seems like such a simple request. Look, we have the Internet. We have the Internet. We can research stuff. We have people we can ring up on our cell phones or send them an instant message or a a text message or an iMessage or whatever other message. We can do all those things. They didn't have that back then. You know what they had? They had letters. They had conversations. They had face-to-face meetings. They had teachings. And the teachings were really, really important. So he says, we ask you, brothers. Now, why is he asking him through a letter? He's asking him through a letter because he couldn't be there at the moment. But he knew what they were facing. So we ask you, brothers, not to be easily shaken in your thinking or anxious because of a spirit or a spoken message or a letter supposedly from us claiming that the day of the Lord has already come. The day of the Lord already coming is the Messiah has come and they're they're thinking, well, he's done all of his work? Because how come we're not in heaven? How come I'm still hot and suffering and hungry and being chased down and How come I have to be secretive and quiet about what I'm doing here? Well, that wasn't what was going on at all. But there were people that were being shaken by tricky teachers, by sneaky, lying, deceitful tricksters, hucksters, charlatans. So he's saying, look, I'm asking you, brother, don't be easily shaken. Don't don't be shaken in your thinking. Don't be anxious. Now, when we think of anxious... A lot of us have had some anxious times here over the past few years. You know, I can look around here, and, and I know the radio audience, because you, you send me these beautiful letters, and I have 39,484 uh, unread messages. So I'm sorry if I haven't gotten your email. It's tricky. You have to put something really good in the, in the uh, subject line. Or use Facebook message or you know, tweet me directly or uh, if you have my number, send me a direct message but uh, or a text message, and then I'll be sure. But I just I can't keep up with it. So don't be easily shaken in your thinking. 
I moved on to anxious pretty pretty quickly there, but sometimes what messes us up the most? Our thinking. We start thinking a certain way, especially about things that have to do with God. We get all jacked up on our thinking and we then we start we hear something, something different, and we say, Ooh, hmm. And then somebody questions us. Uh I got questioned yesterday. I get questioned a lot. I get uh I get a lot of hate mail and I get a lot of uh, a lot of hate mail, and I get a lot of, um, I don't know what you would call it. I got some death threats, and then I got, got a, a polite a polite series of messages yesterday from, from a lady, very nice lady I happen to know, and, and I like, and I respect her. I, I like her a lot. She happens to be gay, and, uh, you know, she had misunderstood that some of my writings and things, uh, she had taken that to mean that I was inciting hate against gay people then nothing could be further from the truth. As I said last week, and I'll say it again, I would be the first one to jump up and protect if there was a, a gay person here, if someone was bullying them or beating them up or threatening their physical well-being or being rude to them here, I would put it up to it effectively. Uh, I wouldn't have it, and then nobody in this group would. You know, this isn't Westboro. I don't say Westboro, you know, Baptist Church because they're 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 chartered as a church. See, that's the thing. They know the game, the 501c3. You know, everybody now is worried. All the regular churches are worried because they're they're scared they're going to lose their 501c3 and their tax deductions and their protection under the law. Here's a news flash: You already lost it because you subjugated yourself. You subjected yourself to a new master, not to God. And so that's not how we do things here. But is not to be easily shaken. Look, brothers, I don't want you to be easily shaken. He could have easily not said easily. He could have just said, I don't want you to be shaken. But he said easily for a reason. And I was really pleased when when I studying through this and I thought, wow, this is this is kind of a weird thing here. This is a little bit of a why would he say easily shaken instead of just shaken? And then it's followed up with your thinking, in your thinking. And I discovered that the easily shaken speaks to, you ever get in an argument with a uh, Brooklyn Jew? Has that ever happened? You guys ever? Brooklyn, you're not going to win that argument. You, you're not going to win. They're going to win the argument. They're great arguers. If you've ever had a a, uh, a Jewish teacher, a true Jewish teacher. Um, you know, they. if you don't say, if you don't ask a question periodically, if you don't challenge them, they don't think they're doing their job. And they expect that, and that's how the learning occurred. What happens is, what, when he says easily shaken, there's a reason for that. The reason for that is he doesn't expect you to not ever be shaken doesn't ever expect your thinking to always be solid and secure. But don't be a baby. Don't be a little a little tiny frail baby in your thinking. It's absolutely normal every now and then. How many of you have ever heard something that you and I'm sure you probably almost all of you would say in here in, in my teaching, you've heard some stuff that is uh that has challenged your thinking. And so, yeah, sure. Sure, it's a very normal thing. Everywhere I've ever taught and everywhere I've ever spoken, people have said, wow, I never really uh, heard it that way. I don't, I, wow, I, I've got to think about that. 
Well, that's challenged and shaken thinking is what challenges us to know what we believe better, more securely. But when you're easily shaken, every little thing that comes along trips you up. It puts you on pause. It puts you in reverse. You stop moving forward in the work of the kingdom and living your life as your calling before God. Because you're on pause trying to figure out what you think, what you believe. So, brothers, I'm asking you not to be easily shaken in your thinking or anxious. Have you ever known a super anxious person? They're just anxious. What would my dad used to call them? Well, that person's wound a little too tight. You ever know somebody like that? They're just always nervous. They're just always upset. They're just always, you think they're about ready to pop. And see, sometimes we can we can chalk that up as, hey, you know what? That person has some challenges in their life. There's some stuff going on in their life right now. And so that's why this is happening. And all of us have been there. I've been there. I know some people that are very anxious in thunderstorms. They're very anxious. They're just very anxious in thunderstorms. Folks that live among a lot of trees, and we have big, beautiful 80-foot trees here, in high winds and thunder and lightning storms, sometimes they get a little nervous. And they say, oh, I'm anxious about this storm. The Bible says later on, the Bible says, look, being worrying isn't going to make you an inch taller. Isn't going to fill your hair, head full of hair. It's not going to make you any better. So why are you worrying? But all of us, if we're being real, we all are anxious over some stuff sometimes. And you know what? It's fair to say... Thessalonica, oh, have you guys looked at the news, what's going on in Greece right now? How about going back and listening to my sermons where I talk about what's coming in Greece in a year? I don't know. You should probably look about a year ago. I felt like a prophet. I'm not. It's just easy to see. And they're still in the streets. The Greek people, God bless them, I have great friends that are in Greece. They're still in the streets right now rioting and protesting and breaking down windows to the, their version of grocery stores, they're doing that right now. Why? Because their money has been locked down by the banks. Because they, they wanted to live a, a socialistic life where pensions are fat and the work is, I won't say what their work is, but they're not known for great work. They're not known for being super hard workers, unfortunately. There are many hard workers there, but there's a lot of folks growing fat off of the work of others. I heard a quote the other day, and I think it's a pretty pretty uh, reasonable quote, that only 17% of the people are generating the entire tax burden of Greece that supports all these huge pensions. 17%. Guess what it is here, folks? You ready? 23. 23, less than a quarter, is... I don't know if I have that right, Jerry. Probably you, you probably know, but I think it's 23 or 25% somewhere in that neighborhood. We're, and we pay the most taxes in all the world. Are you kidding me? Greece, what's going on in Greece is coming here. Those folks have a reason to be anxious, but guess what? They cause that themselves. They cause it themselves. But, he, but there's something more here in, in verse 2. We ask you, brothers, not to be easily shaken in your thinking or anxious because of a spirit or spoken message or a letter supposedly from us claiming that the day of the Lord has already come. Have you ever arrived 
at a bus station, at an airport, at a train station, and you've got to run to catch your conveyance, your bus, your train, or your airplane. Have you ever have you ever anxiously looked as you're running through the airport? Hey, wait, it's C, it's C seventeen, gate C seventeen, uh, terminal C, gate seventeen. Uh, I'm in B, I'm in B forty three, and my plane leaves in twenty seven minutes. Turn around and you're buzzing through, and at that point in time, you're very anxious because you can't understand why are all these people going so slow. They act like they don't have a care in the world. Guess what? They got there on time. They're in the right place. They have nothing to be anxious about. They handled their business. But see, in this case, he's saying anxious because of a spirit or a spoken message or a letter, supposedly from us, claiming that the day of the Lord has already come. Some folks were saying, hey, we missed the bus. We missed the train. We missed the plane. We're late. We're too late. Have you ever been too late? Have you ever been too late? Have you ever been like me? I was, uh, you know, of course, having this brain injury. I have a neurologist who, who try to take care of me. Operative word, try. And I was sure that I was not only early, I was way early for my appointment. And I have a little problem with dates and time. So I, what they call chronology. My, the uh, chronology of life is just I'm just not great with it. Welcome to our guest in uh, chat, by the way. Thank you for joining us. So uh, I'm, I'm all that in the bag of chips. I'm like, I'm parking my truck. It's extra special good. You know, I got it at that time. I always pretty much always used handicap because I had a hard time getting up and getting in and out of the truck and uh, you know, I was just really being super careful. And I was bragging. I called Colleen and I said, hey, you know, I'm here, blah, blah, blah. I got this and blah, blah, blah. And I go in and I sit down fully expecting the lady, the receptionist to say, oh, Dr. Greener, you're early. We love that. But she didn't do that. She shushed me when I said, hi, how you doing? And she was on the phone. Can't tell she's on the phone. She was one of the little customer service deals in her ear. So you sometimes can't tell. It looks like they're talking to themselves. I didn't want to say anything because she was at a neurologist's office. You know how that goes. So I didn't know who they were hiring or what their hiring requirements were. But good to know in case I need a job. So uh, anyway, so she shushes me. And then she gets off the phone and she says, can I help you? I said, well, of course you can. I'm here for my appointment. She goes, and you are, first of all, I was offended. I'd been there before. How do you not remember me? <laughs> and she said, oh, Dr. Greener, you're late. I said, I am? Was the appointment at 1030? Because I was here at 1030. I just wasn't here in the seat at 1030. No, your appointment was at 9 a.m. <sighs> I was mad. I went off on her. I did go back and apologize once I confirmed that I was, in fact, there at the wrong time. <coughs> I'm almost never, excuse me, I'm almost never late, and I'm daggone sure almost never two hours late. I'm usually super early. But anyway, I always find stuff to do while I'm waiting, but I'm always terrified I'm going to be late. Well, <coughs> this this Lord has already come. They were talking about something specific here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Anyway, let's move on to, to verse 3 just because 
Y'all have me moving slow. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. This passage, by the way, I'm not making this up. You can look it up, Complete Jewish Bible. It really does say that. It, this is really the scripture. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will not come until after the apostasy has come, and the man who separates himself from Torah, can I get an amen, Wes, has been revealed, the one destined for doom. Well, isn't there a good bit in there? All right, so uh, David Stern, he, he talks about this, and I, I, I will just tell you, you welcome, by the way. A bunch more people have joined us. Uh, thank you for joining us in chat. Um, I, I'm going to tell you that the resource of the New Testament commentary, the Complete Jewish Bible New Testament commentary, uh, just to, here's a tip. You didn't hear this from me. Actually, you did hear it from me because who else would you hear it from? Uh, they are working on a complete Bible, integrated, complete study, Jewish study Bible, with notes and cross-references. I know. Holla. <laughs> They're working on it right now. I'll be all up in that. You know that, of course. Um, yay, one more book. <laughs> a big one. I hear tell it's three and a half inches thick. So, uh, but, but David Stern is a great resource because, ironically, he's not a theologian. He is a uh, Hebrew language and culture expert, no doubt. And he, I think of him as a theologian because his mind is, is amazing as it, as it relates to things of God. But his tools that he gives you are absolutely astounding. So here's what he says. Misinformation can come from a spirit other than the Holy Spirit. A spoken message, that is a sermon or teaching or a letter supposedly from us, but actually a forgery. And, and uh, verse 317, he, he clarifies, Shaul clarifies that. Alternatively, if this last phrase is translated, a letter from us supposedly claiming, then Shaul is referring to a genuine letter of his, perhaps First Thessalonians, which was being misinterpreted to imply that he was saying the day of the Lord had already come. Uh, while a similar error is reported in 2 Timothy 2, 14-18, it is hard to see how Shaul's message of 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, 3, 13, and especially 4, 13 through 5, 4, could be misunderstood in this way. In any case, don't let anybody deceive you. Bottom line, don't let anybody deceive you. Know what you believe in. How do you, how do you learn something? You study it. You study it. You take your time. I tell my kids, listen, the only way to learn something is to study it. Create, create study notes for yourself. Create a study guide for yourself and study it. Read the text over and over and over. Don't assume you know what's in it. Read it over and over. Make notes. Write things down. Commit it to memory. Read out loud. Do whatever it takes to know what you're talking about. Why? Because you're the only one that can make sure you know what you're talking about. Nobody else can. Nobody else can. So you have to know. And so in order to do that, in order to know that you're being led astray, you have to know what you know. So verse 4, he will oppose, see if this sounds like anybody, he will oppose himself to everything that people call a god or make an object of worship. He will put himself above them all so that he will sit in the temple of God and proclaim that he himself 
is God. And by the way, Jeremy James, you are a bunch more people. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. I'm honored that you join us today. So um, over in chat, chat's hopping over there. Uh, so there's much speculation over what the passage is talking about. Since the events it speaks of have not yet occurred in the view of pre uh millennialist. Can't bring, blame that mispronunciation on my braces because I don't have them anymore. Anyway, uh, the Thessalonians knew better what Shaul meant than we do because he used to tell them these things. He used to talk to them, and verse 5 talks about that. Nevertheless, there is no shortage. This is uh, David Stern. Nevertheless, there is no shortage of opinions, all contradicting each other and all copiously supported by quotations from Scripture. My advice, this is David Stern's advice, to those interested in pursuing these theories is first to read 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12, then to examine books on prophecy that present an overview on the subject, not just one perspective. For references to four such books, see the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. His own notes there are suggestive, not dogmatic. So anyway, regarding verse 3, the proof that the day of the Lord has not come is that apostasy or the rebellion, um, it, Greek here, it's apostasy, apostasia, means literally the standing away has not come, and the man who separates himself from Torah, who is destined for doom. In King James Version, it says the son of perdition. It describes him as the son of perdition. Has not been revealed. On this apostasy, which precedes the second coming of Yeshua, the Messiah, you see 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, and the notes there, on the moral decline which is part and parcel of such rebellion. What? So when that moral decline happens, something else is getting closer. The day of the Lord. And the day of the coming of the Lord. So... He says right here, on this apostasy which precedes the second coming of Yeshua the Messiah, see 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 in the notes, on the moral decline which is part and parcel of such rebellion, on the false teachers who will spearhead this evil movement, see, um, well, well, we'll talk, talk to you about that in a minute, uh, and on the attitudes of those who welcome them, see 2 Timothy 4, uh, 3 through 4. But already such false teachers are present. In fact, as Shaul himself said later, the Messianic community itself spawns them. Yochanan, which is John, agrees. And by the way, that's in Acts 20, 28 through 31. Uh, Yochanan, who again is John, and calls, agrees and calls them anti-Messiahs. Uh, Yochanan or John, 2, 18 through 23, 4, 1 through 6. And two, Second uh, John seven are examples in advance of the final anti-Messiah, whom Shaul here calls the man who separates himself from Torah, Antichrist. Let's just see. In such false teachers who have the spirit of the anti-Messiah, first, first Yochanan or John. Four three. Already this separating from Torah is at work secretly. And that's at verse 7. The man who separates himself from Torah. Greek is anthropostasis anomias. 
means literally the man of lawlessness or the man of wickedness. The two parts of the word anomia, a, apart from, and nomos, which in a Jewish context does not usually refer to law in general, but the Torah in particular. So we're not talking about man's law, we're talking about the law of God, the teaching of God, the direction of God, the leadership of God, not the suggestion of man. Obviously, a man who sets himself apart from God's Torah is lawless and wicked as well. Would you want to be referred to as lawless and wicked? I don't think any of us really want to be referred to as that, but we have to look out for that, don't we? Lawless and wicked. Do we see any lawlessness and wickedness? Do we see any people abandoning? We see a lot. We see people, learned people, people who supposedly know the law, are in the positions of high authority that they're in. They're supposed to know the law. The Supreme Court is supposed to know. But guess what? They've rejected the law. They are lawless and they are wicked. His separation from Torah or avoiding Torah should not be understood narrowly as if his sins were little things like eating a shrimp or driving on Shabbat. We're not talking about that. Here, Torah means all of God's teaching, God's way of ordering the universe, and he wants none of it. He is true light, anti-Torah in the broadest sense. Now, here's the thing. Who is the man, who is this man who separates himself from Torah? He's clearly and obviously, according to Stern, and obvious to me, an evil figure, indeed the very embodiment of evil, such an apocalyptically evil figure is mentioned elsewhere in both the Tanakh and the New Testament. Uh, we're going to talk about what it says in Isaiah. But I want to read to you again what he says about Torah as it is applied here. This is very important. Here, Torah means all of God's teaching. God's way of ordering the universe, and he wants none of it. God's way of ordering the universe, God's law. Our rights are referred to in America, and I know we have people listening all over the world. We have people right now from Belgium. Um, we have a whole bunch of people listening from all kinds of different places. Um, so I'm speaking specifically to the United States law, but but our inalienable rights. That is referring to what? Pursuit of happiness, which come from, the origin of our rights come from God, not from man. Can we not agree that in the United States, not speaking for other countries, this wouldn't be fair for me to speak about them. I live here, I study here, so I can speak about that experience. Can we agree that what's going on here is devastating. I got in a discussion uh, with somebody yesterday, and it was a polite discourse, and I'm always, you'll find that I'm always try to be polite. Uh, it's never my intent to hurt anybody's feelings, or but if your feelings get hurt in the process of me telling you the truth in love, that's not hate, that's just advising you of the truth. And in that process of, of that, which I was very pleased that it, it went the way that it did, it was, it was respectful, which it isn't always, right? Uh, the left is the tolerant left, and, and, but they're not always respectful. And you know what? We, on the right, 
need to always keep it classy, but keep it truthful. Well, in this particular discussion, I this person was a gay person saying, well, you know, so I'm not allowed. I don't have rights because I'm gay. I didn't choose to be gay. I am, but I didn't choose to be gay. Why don't I have rights? Why don't I have the same rights you have? And I was trying to explain to this very nice person, look, it isn't about rights. It's about states' rights. It's not about, it's, what if you have a business, a private business, and you're told you have to, and I was referring specifically to the bakers, $135,000 they have to pay now. The bakers that said, we'll make you anything else you want to make. That's the story most people don't know. These people targeted those bakers because they were overtly Christian and a small business. Why do they target small businesses? They're very easy to sue. Very easy to sue. And what do small small businesses not have a lot of? Money. And you need money for attorneys. They knew it would be a slam dunk. So they went in over the course of a considerable period of time buying little things that have nothing to do with a wedding. And they were happily and cheerfully served. They even said by their own testimony, they were the nicest people. We really liked them. But we wanted them to make us our wedding cake, a lesbian couple. They said, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't, we can't. We wish you the best, but we can't make you a wedding cake. Because in our faith, we don't believe in homosexuality. So if we make the wedding cake, that would be tantamount to us performing the wedding and endorsing the wedding, and, and we can't do that, although we wish you the best. We're very sorry. Well, their feelings were hurt, and they stormed out of there right to the lawyer who was already on retainer, and all of the gay rights advocacy groups had already funded an aggressive attack on these people. Otherwise, good people. They got threatened being shut down. They got threatened with massive fines earlier on to the tune of five hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. Now they've been ordered to pay one hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars. That's what they don't have. One hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars. It's interesting to me the Christian community doesn't band together and help these causes. Now, I know that there are cases uh, being worked on right now to try to help them. Uh, the uh, Alliance for Defending Freedom is trying to help them. There's other organizations that are trying to help them. But do you know how much it costs to defend a case like this that's clearly and obviously a Supreme Court case? Hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. This is a big deal. But what's the bigger deal here. The bigger deal is that a private business cannot serve who they want to serve. Guess where it ends up? A gay person comes to a church and says, I'm overtly and openly gay, proudly so. I have my flag if you'd like to see it. And I want to work here at your church. And then the person behind the desk says, you understand that you're at the First Baptist Church of Whereverville, and we, we don't advocate for homosexuality. The Bible is very clear on that to us. 
No, no, you have to hire me. You can't not hire me because of my homosexuality. You've got to hire me. In fact, if you don't hire me, I'm suing you. It's already started. These things have already started. Um, They're real cases. So here's what I'm saying to you is uh, when David Stern, referring to the teaching of Shaul, says here Torah means all of God's teaching, God's way of ordering the universe. That means everything within Scripture matters. Believe it or not, even Torah matters. You know, everybody knows my struggle. I, I have an addiction, and and I'm just going to admit it. I love steamed crabs, and uh, pray for me. And and I'll I'll do good. You know, I'll stay off of them. And then I'll smell Old Bay and see those little crustaceans, and I'm off the wagon. Is it off the wagon or on the wagon? I don't know. Which is it? I'm on the wagon or off the wagon when I'm – what is it? I'm on the paper. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm on the paper. I'm on the paper. So <laughs> that's funny. That's a good one. So here's the thing. So so crabs, you know, I struggle with it. Well, obviously, according to Torah, you know, no bottom feeders. Can't have that. And uh, I just, you know, I love the things. I grew up eating them. Long before I knew the word Torah, I was, I was, I think at the age of three, I was picking crabs. So I love those things. They really, they really. There's a, there's an emotional connection for me. There really is. There really is. I just love those things. The smell, everything. Nobody else in my household likes anything about them. So I'm alone on this. But the, uh, so the, my point is, is that, but really, that's all of God's teaching. It's His ordering of the universe. He said, this is how it is going to be. Not a star is in place outside of God's command. God's will. Not a wave in the ocean, not a ripple happens without God's command. I should look at the time, shouldn't I? Oh, shoot, we're good. What am I on, verse 4? What a loser. <laughs> I'm not well. So so my, my point in all this is, and, and I don't want to beat this to death, but I want to just beat it in your brain, is Torah doesn't just mean, well, you're, uh, you're referring to the age of the law. We're in the age of grace, and and that's a different time. It's just all the way different. What did Yeshua say? I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So nothing was put away. Now, I don't know that I'm going to go Hasidic and, and get the ringlets, because I don't look good in ringlets, but uh, the black hat, I think I could do that. If, if they would let me wear the cowboy hat instead of that little bowler deal I think I'm good to go and I already have a black cowboy hat I hear you I see where you're going with that uh, so you know I don't know I don't know but really if you think about it if this is what the people were told and this is how they were instructed then that's that's what we're really to do but in this case the person who is anti God here he is truly anti-Torah in the broadest sense anti-everything ordained by God. Let me give you an example. Global warming. So he's, this person, if they were here among us today, which they might be, might say, hey, you man over there letting your truck idle, gas guzzler, 
you know, you hate the planet. You're causing global warming. The polar ice caps are melting, and you're gonna, we're all gonna die. What was it? New York was supposed to be underwater. How, when did when would Gore and all them said that New York City would be underwater by 2015? Uh, he didn't say that that long ago. But how come we're not hearing people shoving a microphone in Al Gore's face, going, "I can breathe really well underwater. I must be a fish." You know, nobody, nobody's calling them out on this. I think it's amazing. Every single time, it's always the sound of crickets. Nobody is holding their feet to the fire. Why am I bringing this up? What does it have to do with the sermon? God orders the universe. Do I think anybody that's ever had to ride in a truck with me, let me see a piece of litter. Let me see you throw out a piece of litter. I lose my mind. I hate it. I litter drives me crazy. Waste drives me crazy. I just hate it. But if I think that I can move this universe into some sort of action, do I think we contribute pollution-wise and and industrial, you know, uh, pollution, all these different things? Absolutely, absolutely. I th- I think that we can make the air dirty. We clearly have. I think we can do a lot of things. We can have a negative impact. But can we order the universe? No. We're going to tell God? Well, God, you know, we're going to move this. We're going to make this happen. Tidal waves, we're going to do that. Tsunamis, we're causing that. You're no longer in charge. Thank you for playing. Come on. Who is this man that separates himself from Torah? Remember what I said, an apocalyptically evil figure who is mentioned elsewhere in the Tanakh and the New Testament. Isaiah, I told you I would speak about Isaiah. Isaiah speaks of a self-exalting individual. Isaiah 14, 13, uh, chapter 14, 13 and 14 uh, verses. Daniel of the little horn and the abomination that causes desolation. The abomination of desolation. You guys remember, and I think this is recorded, you can go to here or the TogiNet site or the Ninja Pastor. And when I talked about the end times, I did a whole series on the end times. I did a whole series on Revelation, and I talked about the abomination of desolation. This is what it's talking about. Yochanan uh, mentions this. Also, Yeshua mentions this. Yeshua, when I say Yeshua, I'm, I'm referring to Jesus, Jesus, uh, then to, it's a big, long thing. It's a game of telephone. I just call him by his real name. Yeshua, he speaks of false messiahs in Matthew 24, 4 through 28. And you look at the notes there in the complete Jewish Bible, Mark 13, 5 through 23, and Luke 21, 8 through 28. Yochanan uh, not only speaks of the anti-Messiah in 1 Yochanan or 1 John 2, 18 through 19, and then look at the notes and then look at 4, 3, but also of two beasts and a false prophet. That's in Revelation 11 through 20 and the notes there on that. With differing details, such a figure is also found in other early Jewish apocalyptic literature. For example... This is Second uh, Baruch 4, uh, 41 and 2. The last leader of that time will be left alive. His entire army will be put to the sword, but he will be bound, and they will take him up to Mount Zion, and my Messiah will convict him of all his wicked deeds and will gather and set before him all the works of his armies, and after these things, he will put him as early as the first century in Targum Yonatan uh, Isaiah 11:4. There's a reference to an anti-messianic figure called 
Armillus Romulus from Rome. But it is in the post-Talmudic Midrashim where one finds a sensational picture of the anti-Messiah. In Perkei HaMashiach, he is called Satan Armillus, whom the Gentiles call Antichrist. And this is his description. This is, this is the description here. You ready for this? Six yards tall. He is six yards tall. His eyes are crooked and red. The soles of his feet are green, and he has two heads. This is decidedly not the jolly green-footed giant. Uh, he claims to be the Messiah and God. He rules the earth, gathers the world's armies against Israel, fights with ten kings over Jerusalem, kills Mashiach ben Yosef, and makes the stone impregnated by Satan, from which he was born into an image for the Gentiles to worship. But God defeats him in the battle of Gog and Magog in the valley of Arbel. And Mashiach ben David comes with deliverance for oppressed Israel. These fanciful accounts gained a significant place in medieval popular Jewry. See the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Judaica um, for that and, and uh, Raphael Patai, um, the Messianic text. It's amazing. It's amazing if you look at the things that surround this, the writings that surround it. The evil and hubris of such tyrants, such as Hitler and Stalin, are well anticipated by New Testament passages such as this one. Yet these villains do not completely fulfill the prophecy of the anti-Messiah. Anyone who thinks, I think he takes such a bold step in saying this, anyone who thinks the prophecy is fulfilled by the Pope must be reading his own anti-Catholic prejudices into the text. Who then is the man who separates himself from Torah? In verse 6 it says, he will be revealed in his own time. Uh, in verse 4, the man who separates himself from Torah will sit in the temple of God. Look at uh, Matthew twenty four fifteen for a comparison there. Although there are those who consider the temple spoken of here to be metaphorical, Individual believers, which is 1 Corinthians 6.19, or the Messianic community as a whole, which is 1 Corinthians 3.16. And to David Stern and to me, it seems unlikely. After all, Shaul wrote when the second temple was still standing, and nothing in the passage suggests that his intent was other than to be taken literally. For this prophecy, has to be, for this prophecy to be fulfilled, then there has to be a temple. But there hasn't been one since Titus destroyed the second temple in 70 common. The 17th benediction of the Amidia, recited thrice daily in the synagogue, includes these words. Adonai, our God, restore the worship to the holiest place in your house. Blessed are you, Adonai, who restores the Shekinah, his Shekinah, which is his glorious presence, the Zion. You Baptists and you and you um, you uh, Pentecostals, the Shekinah glory. Can I get an amen? Anybody heard that? Yeah, that's right. We always hear about the Shekinah glory. This implicit prayer that God rebuild the temple. This is they're praying to God, rebuild the temple so that your uh, your will can happen, your order of events can happen. This implicit prayer that God rebuild the temple is made explicit in a meditation after the Amidah. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, and God of our fathers, that the temple be speedily rebuilt in our days. How many of you wish God would send his son, Yeshua, on that horse with the flaming sword, streaking across the east to west sky, while we sit here tonight? 
Amen. Amen. Made perfect in his presence. Here's I'm going to tell you something. I don't think he's coming tonight. He might be. But I don't think he's coming tonight. But those, as many people as are listening on the radio, and as, as many people that download this, uh, of that group, I can tell you there will be a, a pretty fair amount that will close their eyes, open them to see Christ. None of us are guaranteed anything. But the fact of the matter is, if we're honest with ourselves, we say, on the one hand, you know, some people, very cavalier people, will say, oh, yeah, I want Jesus to come back now. Hurry up, Lord. But they don't know the implications of that. They don't really understand. But then when you talk to them, say, well, what about your family? What about your little kids? Your little kids will be, you've got a two-year-old and a three-year-old. You have a 14-year-old. You have a 17-year-old. Well, who's going to take care of your, your children? You have a sick parent. Who's going to take care of your your parent? If you're taken, they say, well, you're assuming that they won't come with me. There are no grandchildren in heaven. There's nobody that's going to say, well, I was Sean Greener's kid, so therefore I get a pass. We all have to place our faith in the Son of God, in Yeshua Hamashiach. Reformed Judaism, on the other hand, has no interest in a rebuilt temple now or ever, and doesn't expect one. Neither does it expect a personal Messiah. Folks, that's what we have to understand about uh, Reformed uh, Judaism. It's You can throw rocks all you want. That's what they've believed. Here's a newsflash. They've believed it for all of time. Why are you going to get in an argument with uh, an Orthodox Jew, a non-Messianic, and tell them you know the way? I bet you they know the Scripture better than you do, better than I do. I've got 11 years of education. They know it better than me. I'd almost bet on it. In fact, find me a kid who has just finished his uh, Hebrew school, maybe 13 years old. He's got his he got his uh, bar mitzvah. I, he can school me on the scriptures. I'd almost guarantee it. So we're going to tell them what the Bible says. Guess what? His Bible says this. Since the 17th century, the site in Jerusalem, this is going to, prick some nerves here. Since the 17th century, the site in Jerusalem which God authorized for the temple, God which God authorized for the temple, has been occupied by the second most important mosque in Islam, the Dome of the Rock. Just how this particular piece of real estate might become available for temple building is not a topic on which I or uh, David Stern wish to Speak about, but I thought you would find this interesting. I took this from his writings. Teddy Kolek, the mayor of Jerusalem, writes in his autobiography: "I receive about twenty or thirty letters a year, mainly from fundamentalist Christians of various churches, urging us to build the temple because they regard this as a prerequisite for the return of Christ." At press conferences, I am often asked whether we plan to rebuild the temple. I usually reply that, according to Jewish tradition, the temple already exists and will come down from heaven to its proper place when the Messiah comes. And that's a chance everyone has to take. Taken from his book, For Jerusalem, off of page 230. So here's a guy. The mayor of Jerusalem gets it better than we do. Because we think we have to nudge somebody. Listen, when that Dome of the Rock, when, when that was taken over as a mosque, I wanted to personally go on jihad 
to Jerusalem and wage war on Islam and reclaim that precious sacred place for our Father. But you know what I had to learn? My friend Dr. Durham and and uh, my dear sweet sister Cheryl Durham and and so many others, Dr. Moen and and uh, Dr. Fry, they had to remind me, and Dr. Frazier, they had to remind me. They said, young man, God's already got that handled. That building of the temple, he's already got that handled. You don't have to lift a finger. Oh, I'd still like to lift a finger or maybe a trigger finger. Uh, I, I really, it makes me sick that really the apostates, the apostasia, are inhabiting such sacred ground. But here's a newsflash. What we know of Islam is everywhere they go, they ruin. This is just another of the places. So I had to check myself before I wrecked myself. I mean to tell you, I was, I was literally furious when I started reading about what they were doing inside one of the most holy places in one of the most holy cities for us. See, we don't regard anything as holy. As Christians, we everything is just, well, whatever, I have the Internet. That's holy. I can look at it on the Internet. What if you lived in Jerusalem and it was 80% Muslim? What if, you, what if you lived there and all of a sudden you had to hide your Christianity? What if you lived there and you had to hide the fact that you were a Jew? That's already happening. The third temple is the one which the man who separates himself from Torah will sit in, but it will probably last only a short time before it is destroyed. After that, the Messiah himself may build a fourth temple according to the pattern of Ezekiel 40 through 45. My city's distinguished mayor is partly right. Something will come down from heaven, not the temple, but the new Jerusalem, spoken of in Revelation 21 and verse 2. It will have no temple building since the temple will be God himself. Amen? Verse 5. I better get going here. I only have three minutes. I don't think I'm going to get finished. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is restraining. He may be revealed in his own time. For already this separating from Torah is at work secretly, but it will be secretly, ready for this, only until he who is restraining is out of the way. All right. So we're going to stop there because I don't want to rush through this because I don't want you to miss anything. Let's just, yeah, well, I got the six. That's pretty good for me. You think? No? Probably not. Uh, well, we're, we will we will pick this up next week. Thank you all for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for your patience with me. Um, I like to teach the whole thing. Uh, I don't like to skip over stuff. And... Sometimes that gets on people's nerves. And uh, all the people that have tuned in today on the Internet, I really appreciate you listening in. Appreciate your prayers. We need them. And uh, don't forget to go over there and click on all those likes and sign-ups and subscribes and all that stuff. Nobody's going to sell your information. Quite frankly, I have no idea to get how to get your information. So, uh, and I wouldn't sell it anyway, but I do appreciate you listening in. How about telling your friends? It's a different sort of thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know that a lot of people are teaching 
the Bible this way. And if you're ever in the Newark, Delaware, or Pennsylvania, or uh, New Jersey, or even New York, we have people that come here uh, every other Sunday that live 63 miles from New York. 63 miles, if you can believe that. Uh, So it's worth it, if for nothing else but the food. Thanks for joining us. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.